Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you today. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing fine, good. thank you. Good. Ready to go to work. Going to work on Twitter. Spread the truth. <laughs> yeah. First, we have to discover it and understand it. Yeah. That's a job and a half. But we know what it should be, and, and we search for it. And, uh, and right now, we'll try to sort out a little bit. Let's start off with sorting out the First Amendment. Oh, we can't <laughs> attack the first and understand totally the First Amendment. Yeah. I was just mentioning it to you. It, is, it gets a little confusing. I see Jonathan Turley has written about it in a very academic way. Mm -hmm. And we hear the demagogues coming on. We have a response. The progressives have responded. You know, those champions of the First Amendment, yeah. they're, they're responding as well. I said, but you know, it's been easier for me to understand the First Amendment because I think of property. Uh, you know, the, the property of the individual, the property of your house, the property of your church, the property of your business establishment. And the problem is, is that property is very much distorted. We don't have socialism, but we have a type of corporatism and leaning toward fascism, and it's gotten much worse with social media. And that's one of the reasons why libertarians have struggled over uh, over the social media. Well, they're <clears throat> private companies. Let them do what they want. Let yeah. them say what they want. But it isn't quite so simple. And if, if you think about it in terms of property, nobody for a minute, I hope, wouldn't think that you have under the First Amendment to walk into a church or synagogue and just say, okay, this is what I say you would do there and just take over. They'd be arrested. Yeah. And uh, but but uh, I, I think I, I just don't see that very often. And that helps me. Maybe it'll help somebody else if they think it's a property issue. And when it's your property and as long as you're not doing the harm to other people, uh, that uh, you, you can uh, have your freedom to speak out. But this whole thing that, um, you know, speak speaking out uh you know, the founders really understood that you could be pretty nasty and pretty strong against your opponents. They yeah. were they were pretty good at that. But it's it's when uh, things are done be, uh, in order for, for to become libelous or, or slander, it's done on purpose to hurt people. So that makes it more difficult. But right now, what we're thinking, because libertarians have really struggled with how do you rein in the social media. Uh, at the same time, not violating the principles of First First Amendment, and uh, I think that uh, the, the 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 problem really is is it's t it's too confusing to understand. Now, of course, uh, most people who care about freedom of expression and not having some. Uh, unusual government entity, the corporations that are owned by the government, are the monitors. They can cancel you and undermine all your freedom of speech. And this is what uh, has happened, and people feel very fr frustrated about it. But, uh, of course, Twitter is in the news, and uh, maybe Musk will solve all our problems. And uh, I, know he, I know he's very interested in his own property, so maybe yeah. if we get his property to find first, the First Amendment, that'll happen. But uh, I think that uh, it's interesting that um, some truths come out of this because there are a few people that all of a sudden said that, my goodness, uh, 
we, we can't have a large corporation controlling, controlling anything, uh, especially if it's somebody that we can't control. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we like big corporations if we can control them. But uh, when you say that they're just a little bit nervous about Elon Musk, what he might do, what if he really is the ultimate champion of the First Amendment? That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's, it's really exposed to hypocrisy among a large percentage of the progressives and the left. Not all, thankfully, because there are some good ones still on our side. But this is, these are the groups that used to champion free speech, absolute free speech everywhere. Uh, and they became part of the cancel culture, the cancel crowd. And it started probably before Trump came in power, but it certainly progressed along until, until now. And it's just it's interesting, and of course Twitter has exploded with the, the uh, pointing to the hypocrisy among this crowd because for these past couple of years as censorship in Twitter became stronger and stronger to a point where it's just unbelievable they said well it's a private company they can do what they want and so now when Musk said okay I'm gonna buy it and turn it into a private company that I own you can't do that you can't do that <laughs> and it's just it's it's interesting to watch the uh, the hypocrisy among these people uh, Alex Berenson just came out with a uh, with a piece, and he makes a good point. He was banned uh, last year because he wrote something that was true about the vaccine. It's actually turned out to be absolutely true and accepted as true, um, but he's still banned for saying it. I was banned for saying something true, too, but we won't go into that detail. <laughs> um, but he makes a good point. He said, not very long ago, Twitter understood its role. When I joined in 2009, its terms of service explicitly declaimed censorship. And this is a quote, all content is the sole responsibility of the person who originated such content. We may not monitor or control the content and we cannot take responsibility for such content. He goes on to say, there were very narrow and very explicit exceptions to that. Uh, child pornography, specific violent threats, encouraging suicide, things that basically everyone would agree would have no place on it because it's related directly to harm. It was very simple, and remember, uh, the, uh, the, the, the then CEO Jack Dorsey said, "We're the free speech corner of the free speech movement." Well, that's all been turned on its head, and now when Musk comes in, and I don't know if he'll follow through with what he claims, he's he's a uh, he's a world class troll in a in a funny sense of the word, in a good sense of the word, uh, but we don't know if he'll follow through. But if he does, and he brings back absolute free speech on Twitter, it will be an amazing, amazing thing, I think, for for the for the the ability to speak freely. You know, a lot of people over over the years, uh, those who oppose uh, libertarianism and real free markets and laissez-faire, they say that's anarchy. There'll be no controls. Who's going to regulate and at all? And my argument is that in a true free market where property rights are respected, there's a lot of regulations on it. Your property can't be used to damage other people's property. So therefore, you would have environmental controls. You can't uh, uh, you can't dump your garbage in your neighbor's yard. So there's or your or your smoke or 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 make the water filthy. So they there there are controls. Same way in in speech. People have license to say and criticize. 
that the criticism is what bugs them, especially if the political opponent feels like they're saying too much and they're getting too close to truth. Yeah. That's when it needs, if we, yeah, this free, free speech is good stuff as long as they don't tell the truth on everybody. Yeah. So then they get excited. But then no, for, for speech, the, the main re, the way you regulate it without, uh, uh, without a, a government preemptive uh, approval of everything we do is the fact that you can't damage people's uh, character deliberately, and that is slander. That isn't like you criticize somebody and say, you know, that's a stupid policy yeah, you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're allowed to do that. But when it's real slanderous, and, and there are definitions, and they're precise, same way when it's in writing, it's libelous, it, you, you can identify this. But then the lines can be pretty well drawn between that type of injury compared to expressing your opinion, the expression of opinion and scientific uh, scientific knowledge, you know, like what happened in COVID. Yeah. I mean, that was, that, uh, that has turned out to be such an outrage. And, uh, and now they're turning us on the head that we want, uh, we want to get rid of all the misinformation. Just think of those bad people that were telling the truth about yeah. COVID. Yeah. And now we have to get rid of it because we are the protector of freedom of speech hypocrites yeah. that's a mild term for what they're doing yeah and you talk about their reaction oh my gosh what are we going to do when there's no rules we have a great clip of brian stetler you know he's the guy on cnn he's kind of the poster child for this uh totalitarian left let's play 30 seconds of this clip here he is on cnn yesterday uh really getting paranoid about the potential of twitter becoming a free speech platform look who knows i i think that's a uh, that's a that's a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is, if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules at all. Others might not want to be anywhere near I mean, that. that. Am I, am I crazy, Matt? No, everything that's what, what wrong happens? with Stetler. Sounds like he listened to what <laughs> I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what kind of, a, what kind of parties does he get invited to? Have you ever received an invitation to a party, Dr. Paul, where they tell you the rules before you go? <laughs> All right, listen up. You know, maybe Fauci's parties. But yeah. this, I mean, it's just incredible to hear uh, to hear this guy's rationale. But he's not alone. In fact, let's let's do the next clip really quick too, because the White House is also worried. They ask him. Well, if Elon buys Twitter, are you going to still work with them and fight misinformation? <clears throat> and this is Jen Psaki. If we can put that second 30-second clip up of Jen going on. The Surgeon General has said that misinformation about COVID amounts to a public health crisis. Yeah. I'm wondering, regardless uh, of ownership, would the White House be interested in working with Twitter like it has in the past to continue to combat this kind of misinformation? Um, or are we in a different part of the pandemic where that kind of partnership is no longer necessary? Well, I think we engage regularly with all social media platforms about steps that can be taken. That has continued, and I'm sure it will continue. Uh, but there are also reforms that They're we think Congress protect us from misinformation. Um, and we yeah, <laughs> that's all they have to do is label it, and that'll that'll take care of it, and they'll be our saviors. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is that a lot of them are furious because how dare a billionaire buy a big piece of media, not realizing that Jeff Bezos, who's on their side, and in fact, let's put this last thing up. This is from the Washington Post. This is just a clip. It's not a. Here's a Washington Post article from today, no, from the 18th. Elon Musk wants a free speech utopia. 
technologist clap back and they under the subtitle Musk's vision of the internet is outdated and doesn't take into account the real world they say how dare he right. <laughs> you know the one thing that bothers me which is not on top of the list of very many people but uh, I see it in terms so often about uh, the economic policy. And, uh, you know, you, you talk about $44 billion. That's a nice sum of money. Yeah. And that's just in their checking account, maybe in their checking account, or somebody else's checking account. That's a lot of money. And I was, wasn't wondered if, if you had sound money, uh, these kinds of figures would be thrown around. You know, <laughs> and one of the characteristics of having bad money is that uh, capital doesn't come from savings and work. So none of this, this, this comes from a credit system that is in a way fraudulent and that it penalizes a lot of people. That isn't to suggest that the people who use it, they don't have any other choices yeah. but to use it. And if they're smart enough to use it and make investment, that's one thing. But it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a distortion. Uh, you, you know, the people make, make mistakes because they don't have a unit of account and they don't have the interest rates to guide them. And therefore, you, I, I think this contributes to some of the distortions that the progressives might legitimately have a complaint about, but not because not because they understand sound money. It's just because they what they understand is power, and they don't want anybody getting the truth out that might whittle away at their power. Yeah. Well, here's a new low, and I sent this to you yesterday. If you can put on that, it's that tweet. It's the Reuters tweet, uh, and this is really a new low, and it's really unfortunately it marks the continuing decline of an organization you and I both worked with on Capitol Hill and had respect for. And that was the ACLU. <laughs> Human rights groups, including the ACLU and Amnesty International, raised concerns about hate speech on Twitter and the power that Elon Musk, a self-described free speech absolutist, would have after his acquisition. The ACLU was worried about free speech. I never thought I'd see that headline. No, they've really gone downhill. Because uh, I can remember them, they were uh, they were well known for picking some of the toughest controversial yeah. cases and defending them, making a point. But and we had some good friends in the oh, ACLU. Yeah. There was uh, one uh, ACLU leader in Texas that was would come to my defense, yeah. you know, on some of these issues. But I don't think that happens anymore. Yeah. You know, okay. what, what a shame. It is a shame. <laughs> so, well, let's hope that. You know, if Elon does it, that he follows up and he restores the people who have been canceled. I wouldn't mind being restored myself. Uh, and if he doesn't behave, I'm going to the bank and ask for a loan. That's right. And I'm going to buy him out. I'm going to buy him out, yeah. He could buy our show for a couple billion. But, but just remember, ideas are more powerful than armies and uh, telling lies. That's right. Well, speaking of armies and telling lies, let's put yeah. up the next clip. This is from uh, Responsible Statecraft. They have a piece out, I think, via antiwar.com. Philip Breedlove, I haven't seen him in a while. He's come back out of the shadows, Dr. Paul. Former U.S. NATO commander wants to put troops on the ground in Ukraine. Now, I always thought he was pretty crazed, and I always thought he was kind of a Dr. Strangelove type. But this really, I think, goes beyond. Oh, no, it, it, the whole idea... Uh, of the original so-called intention of, uh, of NATO and what they're doing. Of course, they're doing exactly the opposite. They're the precipitators of the problems that we have. 
and uh, and yet there were a few, only a few, that knew and understood this when it was being formed. That watch out, what it might morph into is not exactly a peacekeeping mission. And uh, I think this is very very bad news in a practical sense, but not not a bit surprising because it's such a, such a distortion. You know, uh, I've said it so many times that I was disappointed about the ultimate conclusion of the end of the Cold War because it was such a, such a tremendous opportunity for us. But uh, no, uh, uh, you know, the Cold War brought us some benefits, but it also, uh, you know, messed up a balance of power that seemed to work <laughs> a, a lot better than the way, the way it's working right now. Yeah. Because, uh, you, you know, if, if you have two people that are equally capable of uh, exerting their efforts, that might more likely happen than if one side, right now there's one side, the NATO side, what do they have, 130 countries like this? It, it, you know, there was one comment today that that meeting that they held in Germany talking about the weapon, they said, yes, other members, but other potential members. Yeah. They were non-members and talking about the war. So it's almost automatic. And I, th I think the, and then they're arguing about the details of exactly when they're going to come and defend uh, defend a country that's not a true member. Well, we're already involved in so much of that stuff, it, directly and indirectly, and most people know uh, that our empire is to be defended. And uh, the tragedy is, is people, many citizens of this country, our country, are not well aware of what empire means and what all goes on, yeah. you know, and, and in a way, people want pride in their country, and I have pride of, in our country, and uh, and w when they have done in the past a lot of good things, and they've been, we've been very productive, but uh, the pride comes too often on militancy, yeah. you know, aggressiveness, that I don't like. Well, it's easy to think that maybe Breedlove in his retirement, he's tired of playing golf, he misses the good old days of putting on that uniform and being a tough guy. But in fact, he was named in the article where he's quoted as being one of the senior advisors to Biden on Ukraine. So this guy has the president's ear. And here's what he said in the interview. So what could the West do? Well, right now there are no Russian troops west of the Dnieper River. So why don't we put NATO troops into Western Euro Ukraine to carry out humanitarian missions and set up a forward arms supply base. He wants a NATO invasion of Western Ukraine to set up a military base. We know already that Russia has several times uh, sent missiles into Western Ukraine, into Lvov to knock out arms depots that the, that the West is sending. There's no indication that they would. In fact, they have said, we consider any arms being shipped in here to Ukraine to be a legitimate military target. That would mean this base that Breedlove wants would be considered a legitimate military target, i.e. what he's calling for literally is World War III. You know, there are a lot of motives behind both sides on why they must do it and why they are on the moral high ground of doing this. But when they go and talk to uh, their, their citizens back at home, it's always for national defense and security. And our government, usually it's protection of uh, our constitution and our liberties and democracy. But they have to... They have to take something that is very sinister and turn it into something very uh, patriotic and the people could join in. And how do they do that? They have to paint the p other people as very bad 
people even worse than they really are worse than than they are you know and that was certainly the case in the middle east they the dictators in the middle east weren't exactly saints but they weren't what they were painted to be in order to get a whole country like the united states to think saddam hussein has to go assad has to go you know on and on we'll get we'll get rid of these people and make it a better world and uh and and their salesmanship has been pretty good and of course that's one of our goals at least that's my goal is try to try to find out what's really going on and encourage people to see this with uh you know a little bit more balance to know exactly what's happening to try to try to get other people to not fall into the trap of saying oh if you don't go along with me uh you're un-american and you're uh, even to the point of not agreeing on medical care they'll call it the treasonous you know yeah. you're committing treasonous. people are going to die because of you're taking these these positions and uh, certainly in a military sense that's what you get accused of you know americans really need to wake up especially conservatives because by and large they are very wrong on this and they are very dumb on this but they need to wake up as to what's happening these are the people who are so incompetent they couldn't even plan an orderly exit from afghanistan and now they're planning us into world war three uh... you know the conservatives who love the military need to look at the people who run the military people like milley and the others all the woke generals and fall out of love with these people because they're not looking for american interests that's for sure well, speaking, you, you mentioned money. Let's put up the next clip because this is our next topic. Also from Responsible Statecraft. Uh, it's their day today, I guess. But they had a couple good. This is from Bill Hartung. He's always good. Global military spending tops $2 trillion for the first time. Dr. Paul, and this is a study from, um, from uh, the Stockholm International Peace Institute where they s- discovered that over $2.1 trillion in 2021 was spent uh over 38% of that was spent by the US. Yes, and, <clears throat> and I argue that it was a lot more. Yeah. Can't prove it, but my suspicions on something like this most of the time they work out that way because so much of government is done in the secret. And one way you uh really hide finances is if you have a total fiat system of money run by a central bank uh, that is the uh, is the world central bank of the uh, the, the world central bank, uh, the uh, reserve currency of the world. They can do almost anything they want because they can issue trillions of dollars on on the books here in the last three years. We've issued six trillion dollars in doing all the bailouts and everything. But there's a lot more. They issue loans and and all. So I think when another country comes forward, Germany comes forward and say. Yes, we're going to use our own weapons. Oh, that's a charge off to the Germans. But did the German people pay for this? Yeah. I mean, we, we have bases over there, and we finance them. So and if they use them, we're going to send them their newer weapons. Yeah. And it goes on and on. So I would say that it's safe to say it's a lot more than $800 uh, billion. And uh and this is this is a, a big, of course we mentioned being big business and the arms manufacturers have have benefited by this for years and years, but um, the money is involved, but you have to keep that uh, you know uh, you know badgering away and the propaganda has to be strong, and keep the people off balance and say well you have to do it if you don't you're un-American. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's a good piece. My beef with it, as with a lot of the responsible statecraft types of people. He says, meanwhile, Russia's invasion of Ukraine 
clearly calls for a response. The argument would be, unless that response is non-interventionism, uh, I don't think it calls for a response. That's not responsible in any way, shape, or form. But you mentioned Germany, and you mentioned Germany's role in this, and that's the next thing we're going to take, because basically our theme of the second part of the show is escalation, escalation, escalation. Let's put on this next one, that one from Zero Hedge. Um, and this is an interesting one. You sent it over to me this morning. But, you know, the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, he, he, you know, he's from the Social Democrat Party, and he's been resisting the pressure from the right, from the CDU and CSU, hey, we need to start sending heavy weapons. And Schultz correctly said, if we do this, it's going to lead to World War III. Well, I guess the political pressure got to him. I guess he likes his job more than he likes Western civilization to not be charbroiled because he changed his mind and said, in a major reversal after warning of nuclear war, Germany approves tanks for Ukraine. Right. Well, I want to read this little quote here on him before he changed his mind. And, you know, if it is true, and I happen to think that it is, that people uh, who just casually look at politics would like it to get a straight answer. And and at least uh, if you're elected to office uh, under a uh, campaign slogan and promises, you're supposed to follow them. And if you take an oath of office, you're supposed to do that. I still think there's a lot of respect for that in the country. But here's an example of doing the opposite. This is when Schultz, uh, uh, the chancellor, said... uh, uh, published on last Friday, he said, we need to do everything to avoid a direct military confrontation between NATO and a heavily armed superpower such as Russia, a nuclear power. Uh, the chancellor said at the time, I will do everything to avoid an escalation that could lead to World War III. There can be no nuclear war. And all of a sudden, he changed his mind. Yeah. Now, what, what do they do? They, does he... Is he are his arms in a sling? Yeah. Did they break his yeah. arm or something? Yeah. Well, anyway, you know, they're, they're, they've capitulated. NATO, <coughs> NATO is powerful. They have a lot of members, so everybody has to go along with it. And uh, the people, of course, if they know the truth, they won't go along with it. And uh, it took a while for people to finally figure out the truth about Vietnam. It yeah. took a long time couple years at least to get the people to understand that maybe lockdown efforts uh, was a bit excessive. Yeah. Well, I think the award for the most insane politician in the West uh, goes to, uh, he's a member of parliament, he's the head of the uh, Armed Forces uh, Committee in the British Parliament. Let's put this next one up. James Heapy. Here's the headline. You and I, neither of us, I, neither of us believe this. We both separately went to look it up. We for sure he was misquoted. <laughs> Minister backs Ukraine carrying out Russia strikes with British weapons. James Heapy says it's completely legitimate for Kiev to identify targets in Russia to attack with British weapons. Let's look at here next. And here is that quote. He was asked about it. If we can look at the next clip, please. He said, it's not necessarily a problem if British donated weapons were used to hit sites on Russian soil. You know, (laughs) this is getting awfully close. And here's what he said about Lavrov. Here's basically basically why he didn't think that Russia would get annoyed over getting blown up with British weapons. Put this next one on. This is from a Daily Mail article, also quoting him. Here's what he said. Uh, He doesn't see an imminent threat of escalation in Ukraine. He dismisses Lavrov's, that's the Russian foreign minister, warning that this could go nuclear if you keep doing this. 
He dismisses it as bravado. Here's the quote from Heapy. Lavrov's trademark over the course of 15 years or so that he has been the Russian foreign secretary has been that sort of bravado. I don't think that right now there's an imminent threat of escalation. So what what if he's wrong? More trouble. And this is a typical example of how wars expand. It's the miscalculation. Wishful thinking, if we do this, we're tough, we're bigger. And you know, right now, there's been so much proof from Vietnam proved it. The bombs and the money spent and the planes doesn't make the decision on who wins the war. And uh, they don't realize that uh, the escalation uh, can occur, and uh, they pretend that if we do A, B is going to happen. It's sort of like in economics. You know, you can't have economic planning. Evidently, you can't have this calculation in military and say, if we do this, this is what's happened. We understand the enemy. I went to college and took a course about Russian history, so I know what they're going to do or or whatever. So it's, it's a miscalculation. And I think that's what they're doing right now. That's why we mentioned all of these issues. The little thing you think it, this one is this one is more grotesque about you know crossing the boundary line. Yeah. This is this is uh, you know even their silly uh, invisible rule of well you don't cross this boundary line to bomb. Yeah. yeah, but technology is permitting them to do just about everything now. They have drones and everything else, but that. Uh, this this is uh, probably not going to just disappear and not happen again. This is uh, likely going to see some retaliation equal to what they've done. And it doesn't matter what you think about Russia, and it doesn't matter what you think about the attack. The real question that is not answered or asked even in the media, is it worth going to World War III over Ukraine? As Ted Carpenter, our friend at Cato, wrote in an article today that we republished, <coughs> Ukraine is in a is the second most corrupt country in all of Europe, and it's extremely oppressive. It's an authoritarian country where the opposition parties are banned, the media is tightly controlled. Is this really the country we want to go to World War III for? That's the question. Now, Hippy says, ah, he doesn't mean it when Lavrov warns. But they warned in December, they said, if we don't sit down and talk about security in Europe, there's going to be a war. We said, no, we don't want to talk about it, just go take a hike and there was a war. Uh, They said, if you send weapons into Ukraine, we will attack them. He said, no, no, you won't. They sent them in, and Russia attacked them. Now they say, if you keep doing it and you keep escalating, it's going to lead to nuclear war. And we say, oh, no, it's not. We don't believe you. How many times do they have to bumble on into this until something really bad happens? You know, it just... I, I, again, measuring the benefits and disadvantages of pretending you know everything if you have a lot of money and a lot of bombs. But people do compare, and we happen to spend 12 times more than Russia spends on weaponry. <laughs> and, uh, and yet we're out there threatening, oh, they're going to attack us, they're going to attack us. But they may, and, and that's the other thing that a lot of times they don't understand, is, uh, is having the benefit of the home front. Uh, people will defend their land, and no matter what their uh, politics are, People don't like invaders coming in, and uh, I, because I was so close to it, not that I went to Vietnam, in, in that decade of understanding that, of all the bombing and the killing went on, and we walked out. Yeah. And the other lesson I've learned about that whole mess, I think, is a fantastic message is all that effort to stop, uh, we were going to stop the uh, domino effect, stop communism in its tracks. And, uh, and yet, uh, we left 
and uh, we gave up on them. We left them alone. And guess what? They became more westernized. And all of a sudden, they started doing business with us. Our business people were traveling over there. All of that uh, in the midst of peace. Yeah. And it, it's just a little bit, but it's a big deal for me compared to going and looking for a fight like this. On us, our side now, saying, oh, it's okay. Drop a few bombs on Russia. Yeah, I understand they have a nuke here and there. I think they have more than everybody else, you know. But they're not going to use them. They won't. So. <laughs> bad, bad advice. Bad advice. <laughs> well, I'm just going to close by thanking our viewers for watching the program. Please uh, hit like. Like helps the algorithm, and it gets us out and about more on YouTube. Uh, make a comment. That also helps some more interactivity. We want to obviously try to grow the, sh the show, and we appreciate your, the part that you play in helping us do that. Also go to ronpaulinstitute.org. <coughs> And have a look there on the upper right. You'll see a link to our information about our conference uh, in uh, Houston on June 4th. We'd love to see you there as well. Dr. Paul? Very good. I'm going to bring the subject up again about uh, Vietnam. Because after that war ended, uh, there was this thing that the uh, United States was humbled. And there was a Vien, uh, Vietnam syndrome. The Americans were not anxious to get involved, and which was so. And, uh, it, but it was negative for the military-industrial complex, and they were anxious to have a president that would reverse that. And that happened uh, with H.W. because uh, of the Persian Gulf War and, and uh, going into the Middle East because they had to have victories. They couldn't leave. And that's why we ended up for 19 and 20 years in some of these wars because they wanted to erase you know, the humility of losing that war in Vietnam. <coughs> So it's, uh, it's not complicated. I just think people need a couple basic principles. People should and do most for the, for the most part want to live in a peaceful world and a prosperous world. And yet governments are at fault and they're the ones who design it. The people are the contributor factors because they're careless and they either encourage or allow these people to run our lives. Uh, the founders tried to set up a system, the government, which would be the government would be the people, not the bureaucrats and the politicians who end up telling us how to live. There, it's available. It's not complicated. And I'm always disappointed that we can't sell that message a little bit better because it's so superior to the uh, authoritarians who are saying, we'll take care of you. Just do as we tell you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.